Elrod, how's the airport? You, I feel like you've been at the air, in the airport for the last uh, few weeks. Well, yeah, I feel like I've been living in airports, but I gotta tell ya, I was listening to some really painful 90s music earlier, and now they've got the Rolling Stones on. So, things are getting better. Things are improving. A lot of NSYNC and Backstreet Boys are stuck in your head, huh? Exactly. Now I've got the Stones, which is uh, good. That's a good thing. So, President Trump formally launched his campaign uh, earlier this week in Orlando. Uh, people seem to be missing the fact that he actually has been campaigning since the beginning of his administration. But. I was going to say, I love that he had like a formal launch of his campaign when really he's been campaigning since he was elected. Yeah, he filed okay. his papers the day he was inaugurated. Right. <laughs> so uh, what do you think of his event in Orlando? You know, this may come as a surprise to you, Doug, but I didn't watch it. Um, I actually had other things going on last night in New York City that were a little bit more exciting than watching this event. However, I did read um, a lot of the outtakes, and it sounds like he was very negative, you know, calling out the media, fake news, you know, calling out Democrats. And it just reminded me of the contrast between his re-election announcement and Barack Obama's re-election announcement, where Barack Obama really touted his accomplishments most notably passing the Affordable Care Act. Um, he really focused on bringing the country together, whereas Trump, of course, is running on a political campaign of divisiveness. So, you know, it just reminded me of, of, you know, how far we've come from when Obama was running for re-election in a not-so-great way and really reiterated to me the importance that we take back the presidency in 2020. Yeah, look, it was Trump on steroids. I think anyone who thinks he's going to be a different type of candidate this year just because he's a little more, he's got a little more professional organization around him is uh, fooling themselves. And the challenge for Trump and his folks is, you know, allow is getting the message out on the economy, which he just seems uh, unable to do. They were not able to talk about the economy in 2018. Uh, maybe it's because of the tax bill that they aren't proud of. Uh, but whatever the reason is, he continues to s- step all over his message. And I think that's partial- partially why he's at, you know, 43, 44% approval rating. But what I will say to Democrats is you can't, you know, even though he's at that approval rating, you cannot take him lightly. He's got a. No. Um, dedicated massive following uh of people who are going to be with him to the end and they have raised already a hundred million dollars at this point in the campaign in 2011 barack obama had raised 11 million dollars so they are they are storing away money they're spending a lot of it on facebook ads and digital ads to recruit their supporters mobilize them get them engaged so uh, I, look, this is going to be a, a you know the the race of our lifetime. I believe um, we can't take anything for granted. I completely agree. And anybody who um, underestimates Trump doesn't think that he's going to you know even have a chance at getting reelected is fooling themselves. And that's why I'm so glad that we have two of the biggest experts in media campaigns and strategy with us today. Doug, will let you do the intro since you're sitting in the room with them. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So let me first start with Tammy Haddad, who is a veteran political producer. Uh, she uh, was a pr- the executive producer for Larry King Live um, and really brought politics to primetime cable. Uh, she booked and produced the show featuring Ross Perot that, has, uh, that was such a hit. 
Uh, she was director of MSNBC and executive producer of Hardball on all their election coverage. And she produced the first presidential debate at the Reagan Library. Um, look, she is any, – anyone who lives in Washington and works in politics knows Tammy. She is um, just one of the best at what she does. Uh, and it's also just a very sweet person, someone that I turn to for advice uh, when I'm trying to do something, and uh, just an expert. And we're going to talk about the debates, and we want Tammy to take us behind the scenes on the production side and the network side of things, uh, because I don't think anyone else is better positioned to do that. Um, and – Last but definitely not least is Hillary Rosen. Uh, Hillary is uh, the partner at SKD Knickerbocker, a firm I know very well. Um, and she also used to be uh, the chief of staff to uh, Senator Feinstein and uh, was the chairman and CEO of the Recording Industry uh, Association of America. She's a very well-known CNN political analyst, and she's one of the, you know, leading progressive advocates on a range of issues uh, and has fought her career for um, uh, uh, so many different folks who don't have a voice in Washington. And uh, I consider her kind of like a second mother. <laughs> I've known her for a really long time, and she's always taking care of me. And she's also maybe maybe like a second, like a big sister dad. Yeah, that, that hurt. Sure, that, like, that, 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 that hurt a little bit. Fine. I'll be your okay. mother. All right, all right. Sec a big sister. <laughs> but look, she's an, she is the best strategist I know, um, and someone who can bring both uh, that type of advice and strategy to political candidates, but also to top 50, uh, Fortune 50 corporations and nonprofits and foundations. So Tammy and Hillary, welcome to The Electables with me and my partner in crime, Adrian. Thank you, guys. Happy to be here with my partner in crime, my BFF across the street, Tammy. Yeah, yeah. I so, just love, I want to say something really quickly before we get started. I love that the two of you are joining us together because I know you guys are such good friends and collaborating on a lot of projects together, but I also just want to say as sort of a personal point of privilege that Tammy and Hillary are two of the best mentors that anybody could be lucky to have in Washington, D.C. and in politics. They've both been wonderfully helpful to me throughout the years, and I know the countless other women and men, apparently Doug as well. Um, apparently. really want to thank both of you for just, you know, all the mentorship and, you know, all the help that you've given to so many women and young people sort of making their way through the political process. You guys are so that's nice. Really that's that's why you get people to come on and, and, and do this thing. But, you know, um, you got to pay it forward um, in this world and in particular in this town where friendships are fleeting. Um, I think you learn more, you do better, and you feel better when you do pay it forward. Like, for instance, Tammy's the first person that ever put me on TV. People don't know that. Mm -hmm. Um MSNBC. We MSNBC. were there before CNN. They True. were late to the party, yeah. but they gave you more cash. So <laughs> let's did. be honest. They, that's, they, they that's outbid what MSNBC. That's what matters. Thank goodness, yep. right? Yeah. Um, so, Tammy, let's start with you. Um, you're an expert at putting together big events, big television events, uh, including presidential debates. Take us behind the scenes at MSNBC right now as they're preparing for these two debates that are coming up. How are they preparing for them? What what's what's happening over there? I know they're probably starting to set up in Miami. What's going on? 
Well, you're right. They're setting up in Miami for the physical production. But the most difficult part about any debate won't come as a surprise to anyone listening is what are the questions? What are the subject matters? You know, how are you going to do it? And also, there's so many candidates and there's so many hosts. And let's be honest, we don't really know how they're going to do it, right? Is it going to be Lester's the primary anchor and then he's got... You know, Savannah's a wingman, or Rachel Rachel Maddow's a wingman. We don't, right, Hillary? I mean, we haven't heard anything yet how that's going to work. Well, we've heard that Lester's the only one who's on for both hours. Right. And that they're going to switch Chuck and Savannah and Rachel in and out. Right. So not yep. only do we, I mean, if you just do a numbers, a numbers look, right, we're talking about maybe five to seven minutes for each <laughs> candidate in theory. But going back to your question, so right now what they're doing is they're, they, they probably split up the subjects, Iran, Trump, impeachment, et cetera. They probably split up the candidates, yep. right? They've already done that. Yeah, they just announced that last night, the sort of standing order. Right. But, I mean, they've split up who they're going to focus on. Oh, I right. mean, from the hosts. Okay. You know, who they're going to focus on and how they're going to do it. But the biggest problem is you're trying to – if you're – you know, you're asking from the media point of view. You're trying to get it news – you're trying to get people off their talking points because right now behind the scenes, all the, you know, all the candidates have their teams trying to tell them, say this, that, say that. You know, you have to decide as uh, the producers how much time you want to put into going after the lead candidate, who, of course, is, you know, Joe Biden, even if he's, you know, not on the stage till the second day. And boy, that creates a lot of, you know, a lot of difficulty. Also, P.S., let's back it up. NBC won the debate from the DNC. The Democratic Party decided they get the debate. We don't know, do we, everything that was planned between them, other than who the moderators are. So, you know, were there, were, you know can, you do, can you do any subject matter? Do we know that? We don't know that, I right? Don't, we don't know. I think they can do anything. Yeah, I mean, do, I don't think they're restricted. I don't think... There are restrictions on what they can ask. They didn't divide it up by, for instance, in past debates, they did one foreign policy debate and one domestic issues debate. They didn't do that in this case. Well, I would say, because I worked at NBC a long time, and let's be honest, NBC is so good at building drama, must-see TV, iconic. If you go from, you know, you go from Jerry Seinfeld to, you know, to Hardball or even, you know, Rachel Mountain. We like to build drama. We're not going to tell you everything, right? Yeah. So it's probably already been decided by subject matter, but we just don't know what that is. So that keeps the candidates sort of bouncing around a little and trying to figure it out. But what you do is you make massive lists of your questions. You get input from not just your researchers, other people. Of course, there's people like the other people on these microphones today who are trying to call in questions. Have you guys tried to push any questions? Oh, yeah. In? Okay, what are your yeah. questions? Well, I'm, you know, working with Time's Up, and we're looking at uh, questions around women. You know, there haven't been hardly any questions in presidential debates that specifically address women, whether it's pay equity or sexual harassment or opportunity. Did you give them exact questions? It's kind of shocking. Yeah. We we have been circulating exact questions. Oh, well, what are they? Let's see if Hillary won. Not that that we're competitive (laughs) on this show, right? So we want to know: Do candidates think they've done enough for sexual harassment? That's in this a great country, question, right? Yeah, we want and and what what specific experience they would have or, or want to share about how they would handle a, a crisis. And those are we, perfect kinds of questions. Right. And the reason I asked you to say it is because that when when you're preparing those questions, you always want wide answers. 
right? So what's the way to get the person to make news, to say something they haven't said in the past and, and you know, not have to hear the talking points? So that's like an opinion. Like, what, what else should be done really is what you're asking. Tammy, do you think that they are also trying to figure out how much they should let people challenge each other versus how much they should let the moderators control the who's asking the questions? Again, I believe all those deals have been cut. But, you know, produ we're producers, right? Like, we want the highest ratings, and we want people to talk to each other. More which, conflict. By the way, more conflict, but also, you know, Democratic candidates are more likely to take each other on and talk to each other, honestly, more than Republicans. It's funny, from pr producing debates and forums, the things that we always laugh about, you know, behind the scenes, right before they walk out, you know, everyone's lined up, ready to go. It's so exciting. Last drink of water, fix the hair, blah, blah, blah. Republicans, perfectly lined up. You only see one, even though they're stacked up. Democrats, <laughs> yakking on the phone. I remember Bill Richardson eating some hoagies. Honest to God, yeah. like it's a whole different point of view and a whole different way of looking at it. And you know, it was reported. Someone's showing up late. Someone's showing up late. It was reported during uh, 08 um, at Soldiers and Sailors at a presidential forum that John Edwards, this reported in Newsweek afterward, it was my event and I didn't hear it, that John Edwards said, Barack, Barack, you should at least try, stand up, you know? I mean, so it's, it's, a, it's a little bit different kind of thing. So we don't know what the deals are, but um, I would guess for the first debate, and because NBC wants other debates, that there, it's going to be less about challenging the other, you know, getting someone to challenge another person than just asking about, you know, do you think Joe Biden's too old? Is he the right guy? Why is he, why is he ahead with voters? I think right. it'll be more about them. Right. Yeah, you know, Tammy, we Democrats are a little scrappier than some Republicans. So mm -hmm. <laughs> that's that's perhaps why Bill Richardson was like eating food and talking on his phone. That's a great story. Well, he was hungry. Um, I understand that. Yeah, absolutely. When you got to eat, you got to eat. Right. Um, so, Hillary, I want to get your thoughts on this, too, as a longtime strategist, analyst, somebody who's worked for presidential candidates, who's obviously worked in the White House. Um, how important do you think this first debate is in terms of the overall process, in terms of really trying to figure out who our Democratic nominee may be? Yeah. Uh, just clarify, I've never actually worked in the White House. I've been there plenty. Oh. Um, okay. But the, um, I thought you did. No, but the um, look. I think this first debate is sort of interesting from a news perspective. The three most active audiences, I think, for this first debate are probably reporters themselves trying to look for new stories around what they already feel like are their tired narratives from this never-ending campaign, this primary, which started so much sooner than than um, they would have liked. Then, then there's the donor class, right? Who are, who are they looking at? Who feels like a winner? Because everybody wants to be with a winner. And then, you know, I, I would sort of say the um, social media activists, the Twitter activists, as opposed to generally Democratic primary voters, because that's also a very narrow class of people. And so all of that is to say I think this first debate um, sets some standards, but I don't think it's uh, definitive. Having said that, look back at the Republican presidential primary debates in 16, which I think this is probably most akin to as opposed to the general election debates. And right off the bat, you had Donald Trump being norm shattering, right? He was not going to follow anybody's rules. 
he didn't care. Remember the big issue of the day, now it all seems sort of quaint, was would all of you commit to support the eventual Republican nominee? Donald Trump wouldn't even agree to that. He's like, I'm not in your club. I don't want to be in this club. Like, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And people were horrified, but yet, the, you know, it, it captured something, which is basically, I'm not going to play by your rules. I'm not going to worry about what you think I should be doing. You know, when people were accusing him of, of not paying taxes, he's like, who likes to pay taxes? <laughs> I, you know, I don't want to pay taxes. I mean, he became sort of this um, uh, iconoclast right away. And I think Democrats are a little more, let's just say, proper around sort of how a politician should act. And the question is whether we're going to see anybody try and break out in this debate in, in, to try and sort of capture that that um, iconoclastic image. Hey, you know what? Here's the thing. The Democrats have done exactly what the Republicans did, and this is how they ended up with Donald Trump. You've created this process, okay, where the big dog's going to win the debate. I mean, who are we kidding? You know, the person that's most comfortable, the person that's done it before— you know, in the Republicans' debates, debates four years ago, remember, Sean Spicer and Reince Priebus, the RNC, for the first time, took over the debates. They went to all the campaigns and said, we'll do all of this for you, just like the Democrats have done. And once that was put in motion, and once Donald Trump, you know, uh, really dominated the debates, it was going to be hard for another candidate to emerge in a way that they would look competitive. So I worry, I wonder, I'm curious about if this will happen to the Democrats, because remember, this is the first of how many? Nine debates that the DNC has promised, right? Nine. Twelve. Twelve. Yeah. I, I'm, I, think, I think you might be wrong on this one point, which is that I don't think anybody expected going into those first Republican debates for Donald Trump to come out with so much energy and... Um, and and conversation. And they, that means those, they never watched The Apprentice. That, that's right. Those, <laughs> those candidates I don't think took him seriously. So take that to fast forward that. Who are people here not taking seriously who might have that human breakout? Is that Marianne Williamson? Is it goofy John Hickenlooper? Is it, you know, Cory Booker who's really good at rhetoric? I mean, so there are moments available to candidates here where they're where um, just like there were moments available to Donald Trump. Well, and Hillary, to that point, I think this is a question for both of you. Do you think that if a Democratic candidate sort of took on the status quo like Trump did in the Republican Party, do you think that would work in the Democratic Party? Or do you think to the point that you said, Hillary, that Democratic voters don't necessarily um, play by those rules, do you think it would end up back, backfiring? Well, I think there's a, a, a little bit of conflicting agenda here because I think if you ask Democratic voters now who they prefer in the primary, the number one answer is anybody who can beat Donald Trump. They're, they're, people are so much more interested in beating Donald Trump than they are in advocating for any one of these candidates. And so I think what you're, what you're going to see is people looking for who on that stage feels the, like the best, most um, appropriate alternative to Trump. So that might be, you know, for some people, comfortable Joe Biden. On the other hand, it might be as different from Trump as you can get, you know, an Elizabeth Warren or a Bert, uh, Pete Buttigieg. 
Uh, so I, I think they're I think Democrats are going to go into this and come out of this with some conflicting views. I think that jury's out on that. So we're a week away, Tammy. Yes. What would be keeping Counting you up? Counting down. At, have you seen the countdown on it, MSNBC? It, uh, there's a clock? There's I, a clock. There of course a clock? there's a clock. Uh, we love the we clocks. We love clocks. Don't you the clock? Oh, my God. I love, I love the clock. What would be keeping you up at night right the, now? Really, the questions, right? I mean, it, it, it just comes down to the editorial piece of it. That's what people are focused on. Um, how can I, you know, how can we move the, you know, the election forward how can we, you know, honestly, the biggest thing producers worry about is just rhetoric. You know, to, to Hillary's point, some people are good at talking. Others are not so good. You know, um, you're getting, if you're a candidate, you're getting talking points shoved in your head. You know, Elizabeth Warren has been talking about these issues. Most of these candidates have been talking about these issues for a long time. Bernie Sanders, will people watch Bernie Sanders and say, wait, I heard this already. Do I have to say something new? He has a little bit of a new look. Yep. You know, how do I stand? Am I supposed to look comfortable? It's twice as hard for women, in my view, uh, to look like uh, they're in charge, but not too much in charge. You know, do I wear jewelry? Who do I look at? Do I look straight ahead? How high should my podium be? How much makeup should I wear? Is Joe Biden going to be wearing more makeup than I am? Right? What about Mayor Pete? I don't want to stand next to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, Joe Biden's got a great tan. I don't mean it in a bad way. So he might want to, because of the lighting, you know, lighten his skin a little bit or make it look like he hasn't been at the beach for six months. You know, it's it, these are complicated issues. So um, I would be up all night all the time. <laughs> and and actually, we haven't talked about the production piece of it, but it is no small thing to get, you know, all those microphones uh, working at the right time and the sound quality. And really, the lighting becomes so important. And then if Kristen Gillibrand says, wait a minute, I don't want to, st I'm now standing next to Cory Booker. I don't know what, I'm not looking at the physical lineup right now. And I want, you know, I want, I'm going to have to be in heels or I'm going to have to be elevated, or I'm going to be, have to be dropped down a little, you know, that's going to add, you know, more discomfort. And then you're going to have to make a decision as a producer. Well, if she wants to be up higher, I'm going to put her up higher, even though it looks goofy, and everyone's going to be tweeting about that. Do you think right. that they they are negotiating, I'm sure, with the networks, the, si the size of their platforms, right, that they're standing on? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, not the size, the height. The height. It's usually the Yeah, issue. that's what I mean. Yeah, and the podiums, yes. Mm -hmm. When you... Um, I mean, Pete Buttigieg is going to be standing next to Joe Biden. He's a little guy. Right. Joe right. Biden's not a little guy. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it, it seems like silly things, but you, you see the impact of all of it. You know, it always comes back. It always comes back when you talk about a debate. You have to go look at the video of Nixon, Kennedy and Nixon, and that, you know, and, and the, the famous sweating. story, if you would listen to it, you thought that Nixon won. And if you watched it, you were mesmerized by this young, handsome man. Right. Right. And where George are you w guys going to watch it? Are you going to be, um, Adrian, are you going? I'll be in Miami. Beautiful. Yep. And yeah, I'm excited. You? Oh, no. I'll be watching at home. You don't want to miss that. I'm going to be in charge Perfect. of the remote wherever I am. I just want to be clear. <laughs> Whoever wants to watch exactly. it with me. There's nothing better than watching a debate. You got to get yourself in the right position, keep the kids out of the room. No liquor, no popcorn. Exactly. Fresh batteries in the remote. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Tammy's right, though, about, um, you know, these moments in debates that often have nothing to do with what a candidate is saying. You know, everyone remembers George H.W. Bush w looking at his watch. Um, and, uh, and 
Trump actually, you know, if you remember with all the debates in 2016, you know, he was pretty forceful in the beginning part of the debates. And then he just sort of vanished and disappeared because I think he knew that voters that it wasn't going to get better. Well, it wasn't going to yeah. get better, but viewers were tuning, turning in, tuning in for the beginning part of the debate. But maybe they wouldn't be sticking around. So he made his moment at the beginning, and then sort of did what he could to sort of blend into the background. Well, uh, also about Trump, and this is this is instructive for next week, which is he did not make his moments with a great idea. You know, the, he was not a nine 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 kind of guy, like Herman right. Cain famously was. Um, or we may see Elizabeth Warren get out there with, or, or Bernie on health care or something. He made his moments by um, when Rand Paul stumbled, saying to Rand Paul, gee, you're not having a very good night, are you? You know, <laughs> and, and all of a sudden it was like Rand Paul shrunk right. under, under uh, that comment, right? And, or, you know, he would, he would find these moments that made himself look bigger and more important and other people smaller and less important that really had nothing to do with policy or debate. It had to do with sort of a personal, you know, posture and, and, and insult. And again, I think Democrats are really going to struggle with this. How are they going to deal with, with Bernie and Joe? Because those two guys are going to be the ones, as Tammy said earlier, who are most under the gun. So are the candidates going to spend their time trying to undermine those two men, or are they going to spend their time trying to sort of appeal to a Democratic voter who might care about the ins and outs of the Green New Deal? Hillary, I want to ask you a question about three candidates, and it can be brief on this, but what does Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and, and, and Senator Kamala Harris, what do they need to do each to have a winning night? Well, Joe Biden, I think, has um, just got a smile on and off the stage. I think he's got, you know, to demonstrate to people that he um, is not living in the past, right. that he that he he's wants to be president going forward because he still has a vision for the country. I think uh, he has to stick with his game plan, which is to keep talking about Donald Trump and and America and getting into the weeds on his, um, uh, you know, 30-plus-year legislative record is, for him, a a no-winner in a Democratic primary. So I think he wins if he is on his own plan, um, knowing that everybody's going to attack him. Bernie Sanders, I think, uh, look, Bernie Sanders wins if he's the Bernie Sanders he's always been, as opposed to trying to reinvent himself, because he's got a base of support. The question is, can he grow it? I think he can only grow it if he can convince people that he is a safer alternative to Joe Biden, um, a more reliable opponent to Donald Trump. And Kamala, she's got to demonstrate that she's got uh, a sort of a personal story. I think she struggled with that over the over the last couple of months. She doesn't feel as connected to voters in big events and on TV the way that she does when we've seen her in small events and small uh, moments. And I think she's got to demonstrate some, some uh, heart and, and energy and not really worry so much about coming off like a, like a girl. She's got to She's got to be herself. I don't think she comes off like a girl. No, I, that's what I'm saying. I don't want her to hold back yeah. because she's worried yeah. about 
trying to have too much personality or too little personality or because she's focused on it. You know what I really think? I think you actually, in the end, see who people are on these debates. I mean, you can have all the staff work. You can spend all your time and think about it. But when the pressure is on, when the pressure is really on, you usually you see who these folks are. I mean, not just on one debate. You'll see it on the 12 debates or however people get through. But, you know, just to the point that the next debate, um, Governor Bullock did not make the stage for this debate. Well, he already made the next debate. Right, right in July. Right. So there's right. Go, there's going to be some movement that's you know taking place. Does Marion Williamson have all these you know another what is it six hundred fifty thousand? Is that the amount of sixty five sixty five thousand donors to get up on the stage? So um, it's going to it'll change and it'll change the dynamics. But but don't you think at the end of the day you see who people are? I think you do. Um, uh, but I also think you see people struggle. Right. right, right. You're so watching them struggle. If, it's so exciting. If, if they're struggling, should I say what they told across. me to say? Right. Or should I say, you know, the right. thing I really want to say? You Can know, I roll my eyes? Right. I want to roll my eyes. Right. I can't believe what so and so just said. And and a I little a little eye rolling is not a bad thing in this situation. Right? I don't know. Um. I don't know. Do you think it's good or bad? It, in this cycle, serious question: Is it good and bad or bad in this cycle? I think in this cycle, a little eye rolling feels like what the rest of us feel about politics sometimes. It also depends on is, who's doing the eye rolling. You know, I mean, I think that there, if you're... If so Mayor P could eye roll at Bernie, but Bernie can't eye roll back. First of all, I've never seen Bernie eye roll, so we don't have to worry about him. Right, right. Well, I I mean, I, I wasn't thinking specifically about Mayor, Mayor Pete, but I'm just saying there's certain mannerisms that people have on stage that if they do it it works for them if it doesn't if if and and it doesn't work for certain other people are you talking about beto and his hand in his front of his face <laughs> that's what i say that to my kids don't wave in front of your face wave to the side yes yeah. i guess well, his parents didn't tell him i was that. gonna say he never learned that you know kamala is interesting and i think kamala uh and and kirsten um are going to have a uh an interesting role here elizabeth warren you know the other smart lady uh is on a different night and in many respects she's got kind of the best and worst of it right because she's got a free ride but she also doesn't get to mix it up with you know the lead uh contenders and so i think kamala and kirsten both we know that women are a majority of democratic voters we know that people are are expecting that women are going to essentially decide whether or not we need a woman candidate or whether Bernie or Biden suffice for, you know, taking on Trump. And so I think that there is kind of an extra role that they have, not just on the issues, but also in kind of rallying enthusiasm, much more so than I think the other candidates have. I think the burden will fall on Kamala to rally enthusiasm for a different kind of candidate. Same with Kirsten Gillibrand. To can we keep going? We've made progress. We had a nominee before. Can we keep at this? You know, we, we and and um, take it to the next level. And that is an extra burden. But, you know, the, Kamala is strong. I think she's got that shot. Well, the numbers haven't shown it. If I can just push, push back a little. Why do you think she's not doing better in Iowa, New Hampshire? I know these are only early polls. But, hey, that's what this show's about. Why? Right. Yeah, I... Iowa, I just don't have a good feel for why she's not doing well. I'm, I'm surprised that she's not doing better in California. Mm-hmm. I mean, the right. whole she has these California consultants. She stuck with her consultants who helped her get 
to the AG's office, to the Senate's to the Senate. You know, if there's one thing these guys should know, it's California. Yeah. And yet in the L.A. Times poll last week, she came in fourth. That's disappointing. Yeah, behind it's like, Elizabeth Warren. It's like, geez, what, you know, if you don't know California, where where are you going to break through? And so I do think that um, people generally like her. We have seen we saw more enthusiasm when she got in the race than almost any other candidate. And, you know, I, I think she can measure up. She's just got. She's got to stay at it. Are so Democratic both, women? Can, can I ask one yeah, yeah, question? Yeah, sure. Are Democratic women harder to get on board for women candidates? I know we don't really know that, but do you guys have any guidance, any of you, on why it seems so hard for candidates to pull in Democratic women? Well, I think part of it is it's early. It's still very early. I mean, if you look at most of these polls, a quarter to Maybe even half of the electorate, depending upon who you're polling, you know, they don't know who Kamala Harris. Right, but Democratic women voted for Donald Trump. He wouldn't be president. Democratic women did, or yeah, or women, white they, women, independent women, and independent and some Democrats. No, what's the number? No, on that? Uh, independent and Republican, independent yeah. white women. Yeah. Um, but it was a majority of of women. But didn't they not vote then? Is that what it was? I know there was like a suppressed number in there. Less. Yeah, there. Yeah, there yeah. was. There was more suppression than we anticipated on on the Clinton campaign. Do you all think the media uh, has been biased in terms of their coverage toward women? And do you think candidates? And do you think that plays a factor? You know, I think that there have been. Um, you know, we haven't talked about Amy Klobuchar yet. Uh, and you know, if you talk about somebody who I think got a raw deal as she launched her campaign, uh, it's Amy. She's a serious senator. She's one of the most popular senators on the Hill. People see her as policy-oriented. And yet, you know, the New York Times saw fit to make her entire campaign about whether she and her staff, you know, used the proper utensils on, a, on an airplane. Um, we see this exactly. with Kirsten Gillibrand. People are focused on uh, blaming Kirsten Gillibrand for... Al Franken's problems, like talk about blaming women for the actions of men. That's the stupidest narrative I've heard ever in my life. And yet mm-hmm. people couldn't get off of it for the you know first four months of her running. And so I do think that there's been a little bit of a, um, uh, a, you know, a catch up. I like how the media has started to treat Elizabeth Warren, but I worry it's a little bit of flavor of the month again. On the other hand, they're taking it seriously. They're giving her policy ideas um, more serious merit. When Amy Klobuchar this week came out with her executive action plan, people did take it seriously. So I think it is evening out, but I think a lot of people are calling the media out on this regularly, and, and they're being more thoughtful. Well, I have to defend media here, folks, because honestly, I could tell you Kamala Harris would be doing better if she did more national interviews. You know, she did the campaigns. She's been on the road. I'm not taking anything, you know, away from her on that. But if you want to have an impact, you do national interviews. What was the last interview she did? Why is Joe? Why are Joe Biden's numbers down? He hasn't talked to anyone in, you know, like three weeks. This is how it works at this point in a campaign. Elizabeth Warren, why is she up so much? Mayor Pete, how did he get to 16 percent? In Des Moines, on the Des Moines poll, he's out there talking to everyone. He's standing on the street right now. He's outside the door. 
can I get on this show? Can I get on this show? It works. <laughs> That's what you do. You want to go hide? Go to California. See what happens. Beto, get on your, you know, go somewhere where they don't have Wi-Fi and 5G, 4G, no Gs. Hey, you're going to be down. You're going to be tanking. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Get on TV. You know, that's how it works. Why is Donald Trump on TV once a week? Why are those folks at the White House, why is there such a big operation to make sure every person is in that room and those rallies happen? It's happening on TV. God bless the Internet, but come on. No, look, I mean, I think Mayor Pete is taking advantage of moments on television, whether it's CNN or uh, or um, Morning Joe. Uh, I think, unfortunately, we may have lost my partner in crime, uh, Adrian Elrod. Who was had that to, for uh, me pounding the desk? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Sorry exactly. About that, Adrian. No, I think she's about to jump onto a plane. Um, but Pete's taken advantage of critical moments. Uh, you know, I think that we've seen uh, Elizabeth Warren really uh, measure uh, rise uh, in the last two or three weeks, in part because I think she's been a really um, master uh, press. I wouldn't say manipulator, but she's done a very good job. No, of, she's been very accessible. She's though. very Reporters accessible. Reporters all say she's accessible. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I could draw a line on every candidate and tell you the amount of interviews they've done. Yeah. That's the game. Yep. Um, but look, I also think local press is really important. I think some of these folks are also uh, focusing on doing their local press. Kamala Harris may be doing that. You know, some of these other folks and and uh, prioritizing that. Um, Hillary, you are a strong supporter of abortion rights, um, and we all know what the right is doing right now um, to uh, end a woman's right to choose. They're really focusing on states. We've seen this in Missouri and Alabama and elsewhere. Um, this is obviously a huge issue uh, to uh, the progressive community. Um, I'm just curious, what do you think uh, the impact of this issue will be on the election in 2020? I think it's going to be a major motivator for progressives to get out there. I think, you know, um, the Supreme Court shifting has woken people up in a way that you wish it they it had in 16, but it didn't. But we also know that the Republicans are going to focus on later-term abortion. You know, we saw Donald Trump's gross rhetoric about, you know, making stories up about people are bringing out, you know, babies instead of swaddling them, murdering them. I mean, just like literally crazy things. And I think we're going to see the Republicans make later-term abortion uh, a boogeyman in this campaign. And, you know, women and Democrats have to have to band together and not be cowed by this and be willing to fight back. So I do think it's a big issue. I think it will be a bigger issue this time than it was in 16 when people did not perceive Roe to be uh, threatened. And I think we're going to continue to see immigration be a, a boogeyman here. So. Democrats are going to have to find those mobilizing moments, right, whether it continues to be health care, education, and uh, now abortion will be added to that list. Because o Republicans so overreached um, on this issue, particularly in, in Alabama and elsewhere, but Alabama is the one that comes to mind most recently. Isn't this something – I mean, I believe it's something that Democrats should be able to use to go on the offense on. I think they will uh, be able to go on the offense, in particular the kind of the states that – um, uh, 
you know, where it matters. So people forget when it comes down to it in November of 2020, it's really a state-by-state game, right? right? So when you look at things like gay rights, when you look at, at abortion, when you look at some of those issues, those are really like you have to appeal to where people are in those states. And I think preserving Roe v. Wade is actually really popular in those um, electoral college states that Democrats have to win. Right. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Michigan Wisconsin, uh, Florida, I think. I think if you looked at uh, most state polling in the battleground states, they would show that there's strong support for a woman's right to choose. Um, right, but do but Democrats vote on issues? <laughs> well, I'm they voted asking, on... Well, well, I'm well, asking. Well, they voted you know, on, the Republicans well, I, are much better at... You know, keeping what focused they did with, on that. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Supreme Court. I think we saw there was a hyper focus on health care in 2018. And I think voters, I think that was a big mo- motivator for for uh, voters. And Democrats were really good in terms of keeping a con- consist- consistent message frame around that uh, in 2018. Listen, I'm I know I'm I'm out of step with a lot of my colleagues uh, in the Dem- Democratic Party, but I truly believe that. Americans do not want to reelect Donald Trump. I, I, I think when you look at those key states, when you look at Michigan, when you look at Wisconsin, when you look at Pennsylvania, when you look at Arizona, uh, New Mexico, I just believe that virtually anybody who's going to be on that stage next week could be Donald Trump. Yep. Um, That's a bold statement. Well, I mean, the polling backs, it, backs that up. Uh, mo- you know, uh, I think of... Of the top-tier Democrats, when you look at not just the national polling, but even in places like Texas. And um, I, and I don't care about the right. national polling. I don't care about Ohio. Guess what? Right. I don't even freaking care about Florida. Right. Don't. Because you know what? That's a terrible thing to say. <laughs> take that back. I Michigan, don't. We want her to take that back. We don't, Adrian, come back. We don't Michigan, need them. Stop. Michigan, we don't need Pennsylvania, them. and Wisconsin. Uh, we get those, and we win. We get those, we win. Well, Donald Trump started his campaign in Florida. So what does Let that tell you? Let him have it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Tammy, I have a quick question for you. As uh, when So debates are over. You're at the network with um, all the executives there. Uh, how do you measure the success of that event? Is it just purely based on ratings, or is there, a, or if to, or today in the way in which our media environment is set up, where there's, you know, so much is driven by what's going on on social media and the chatter on Twitter and all that stuff. So, how how is this how is this how is it going to be measured as a success or not? Ratings. That's it. It's numbers. It's all numbers. Yeah. I mean, look, you want your talent to succeed, but these are very professional people. You'd like them each to have a moment. And remember, there's all these other debates that NBC wants. So they're, you know, they're no one's going to go off the rails. No talent will go off the rails. Sometimes we've had hosts do that. You know, yep. we really have. Yeah. And um, and push and you know violate some rules, to whatever the rules are. We don't know. And you know, ask three follow ups when it's only supposed to be two. Standing in your head, you name it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's what success is. It's pretty darn simple. Yeah, and I think, you know, there are moments made um, for. You know, media look at Megyn Kelly and uh, Donald Trump famously, but I think a successful debate will be when a moderator can make news with the answer and not the question. That's right. The shorter the questions, the longer the answers. That's the other key. Tammy, Hillary, thank you so much for for joining us. us. Thanks for having us. Incredible. You guys are 
are just fantastic and it's been super helpful for us as we prepare for the debates. So. Well, we're glad you're doing this show and the shows that you do because the more people understand politics, you know, there isn't sep- there's not a separation between the people that work in politics and the people that vote. It's not there. Don't listen to anyone who says that because everybody here is trying to do the right thing for the country just like people at home. On that note, you guys want to hold hands now? <laughs> well, we're going to take a picture after this. But oh, good. So for my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod, I'm Doug Thornell, and this has been The Electables. We'll see you next time.